Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. What a beautiful touch. Well, the Lord is in this place. When the Lord begins to move in such a fashion, I'm often very, very introspective, very cautious, I guess the word really is, to make sure that I find the vein of the Spirit. Don't want to get ahead of God. Definitely don't want to get behind God. I watched as God began to move across the sanctuary, and I believe that many things have already happened. But I felt like since I awoke early this morning, I had a very specific word for this church. Um, and I don't say that lightly. My wife and I are blessed with many opportunities to travel, minister in churches. There's something very unique about what God is doing here today. And I want to make sure that I'm in line with the will and the purpose of God. Man, I know. We've had a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Amen. Bishop and Sister Gilbert, I honor you. Amen. Thank you for passing the baton on. It's not always easy to do so. And the effect of a race, especially one that involves a baton, a relay race, is those that have run before have to release it into the hands of those that will carry it now if they hold on to it and give it to the next generation the race will be lost but thankfully the bishop and his wife have handed this baton on to two of the most incredible people on this planet Amen. I love the both of you Darren and Gilbert I get to call him that even if he spells his name wrong I love them. I love their leadership. To Amaris, did I get it right? To Tate, what's up, dude? To Creed, sup? To Quinn, and to Kia. I honor you guys. You're amazing. I want to speak to this church a word here. Go ahead. That's all right. It's all right. I want to say something. You guys honored your pastor and his wife today, and it was beautiful, and that was really cool, by the way. The whole couch deal. That, that, that's just, I'm just going to, I don't even pastor anymore, but I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to, my wife and I are going to sit on the couch and put it on YouTube. <laughs> I want to say something to this church. When you honor these children of your pastor and his wife, you do more for that lady sitting right there, standing right there, than anything you could give her. You do. Because here's why. Here's why. I have, three, I have three kids. We pastored for over 20 years. Pastors' kids get a lot of perks. They do. But they also have a lot of responsibility that the majority of us don't recognize. At any given moment when Brother and Sister Gilbert are on vacation, and one of your children have a need, they're quick to turn around, cancel the vacation, and come home to take care of the situations at the church. That's just what ministry does. Those kids aren't perfect. Well, 
Amaris is, but the rest of it. No, you're not, dude. First thing Tate said to me this morning, he says, what's up? I was like, I like this kid. And then he said something to his brother, and he pointed at me and goes, he's better than dirt. I don't know what that means, but I'm better than dirt. I'm a comedian. Yeah, Creed said I'm a comedian. But I want you to know they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're young. They're growing. You're going to see them. But honor and treat them just like you would any other children because you'll do more for that family sitting right there, especially Sister Ginger, when you honor and love her kids. And I see that in this church, and I want to tell this church something. Y'all are just flat amazing. You really are. Give yourself a hand. Amen. Praise God. What a what a treat. What a treat. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Can can I preach for just a little bit today? Can I preach to us? <laughs> About three of you said yes. The rest of you are like, oh, you know, let's get this over with. The guy's short-handed. Let's get to If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 1, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, just a little twist on this portion of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1. Verse 3, amen. I, I want to say this real quick. Sister Wendy, so good to see you. We knew her back when she had the Holy Ghost. I mean back, but I'm just kidding, just kidding. And uh, used to preach for her dad in Arkansas. So good to see you. I don't know what your real name is now. I just know Lumpkin, so you'll have to tell me. Looks like you got some guy you're dragging around with you. So apparently took on his name. I look forward to meeting you, sir. God bless you. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. Verse 4, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. With the help of the Lord, I, I just want to talk to the heart of this church. I feel very directed to preach what I'm going to preach. I want to talk to you about the power and purpose of pain the power and purpose of pain. Could you lift your voice one more time? Ask God just to talk to you today. God, I thank you for your spirit that's in this house, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to continue to do. Speak, God, into the ethos of this church, the heart, the center, the core, God, of what Denison Church needs, God, Truth Church of Denison needs. God, I am asking you, Lord, to speak very clearly Anoint us today to speak your word in Jesus' precious name. You may be seated. Amen. It's been such a, such a blast to be here with my wife and I have enjoyed it. Thank you so much. One of our family's favorite things to do, especially when our children were younger, was for us to go on road trips as a family. There were many vacations where we would pile up in the minivan and 
head off into the wild blue frontier of we grew up or I raised my family in Southern California. We would go into the wild frontier of the I-5 or the 405 and head off for sights yet to be seen. Many memories flood my mind as I recount the adventures we had of Idaho and Texas. My wife's a Texan, glory be to Jesus. Driving up the Pacific Coast Highway into the Redwoods above San Francisco. And one of the most vivid memories had nothing to do with location or vacation destinations. And this seemed to happen on every road trip. It was simply the questions. Oh, the questions. Dad, are we there yet? Dad, can you pull over? I need to use the restroom. I know I went five miles back, but I really got to go. Dad, why does that cow have such weird looking horns? Questions, questions. Questions are a part of life. We hear them or ask them every day. And let's be honest here this morning. There are many questions that even seem to plague Christianity. Some of these questions may be asked out of a sincere hunger to know truth or to know about the truth. And yet there are others that are asked sometimes out of sincere mockery to dilute and discourage truth. For example, the book of Acts chapter 2 contains two powerful questions. The first question, what, what does this mean? What meaneth this? What's going on in this upper room? They truly didn't understand what was happening with all of the Holy Ghost outpouring and tongue talking that was going on. And then that led to the next question after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost is what shall we do to obtain this type of salvation. Now that we understand it, now that you have preached it, Peter, now that we know it's from God, now that we know it's the fulfillment of prophecy, what shall we do to receive the gift that God has for us? All those questions are two, and those questions are just two questions that each of us ask, or if you're here today and you've never asked them, you probably need to ask. What does all this Holy Ghost tongue-talking stuff really mean? And then what must I do to be saved? Those are two important questions. Questions don't bother God. These questions God wants you to ask. But it's the questions that produce doubt, loopholes, division, and deception that the church has been instructed to stay clear, for example, it was the Apostle Paul in writing to Timothy said, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. And then again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives. Questions like, did Adam have a belly button? Some of you will get it in a minute. <laughs> Who are the sons of God in Genesis 6? Who did Cain and Abel marry? What did Noah do with the woodpeckers on the boat? <laughs> what is it? Was it really seven 24-hour days or were the days longer than they are now? How tall was Adam? And the question that no man in his right mind should ever ask, how much did Eve weigh? Now, we don't need to spend a lot of time on those questions because 
probable you don't really have the answers. And most of the time, those questions are asked to produce confusion more than they are for clarification. But probable. The greatest questions that plague you and I as the people of God, as people that are just walking down this path called life, are questions like, why did I have to go through that? Why did that sickness attack my family? Why did that person have to die? Why did those afflictions happen to me? Why did I have to file bankruptcy? Why, why, why? And I'm not here to make anybody feel bad for asking the why questions. As a matter of fact, Jesus even asked the why question. Because in Matthew 27, while he was hanging on a cross, he said, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So my thought today is this. If Jesus, God robed in flesh, can ask why, then surely I can ask why without having to be beat to death with condemnation and guilt for simply trying to figure life out. I wonder if there's anybody in the house that has ever asked why. And I'm going to attempt in the next few moments to answer some of those questions by telling all of us that are here that sometimes, according to what the Word of God tells us, sometimes we are afflicted on purpose. In other words, there is a purpose for your pain. In other words, there is a testimony that can only arise out of the midst of your trouble. Sometimes you got to understand that only a song can truly be born in a tense situation. I'm here to tell you, God knows the way that you take. He knows the trouble that you're in. He knows the situation you're dealing with. But I know that God has a plan. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I want to go so far as to say that affliction and pain is never your adversary. Never. Hear me. The pain is not your enemy. That affliction is not punishment from God for some secret sin in your life. I want us to leave out of here this morning with a revelation that affliction is your friend. It is your accomplice. Pain is your friend. It is your assistant. It is your better half. I'll go even so far as to say it, it could be your help meet. Now I'm not saying that your wife is your affliction because she's a help meet. But I'm saying that in order for you to accomplish anything of value, for there to be growth in any church, for there to be growth in any life, for there to be harmony and growth in any family, there's this thing called pain. There's this thing called affliction. And no one, I'm just going to be honest with you, no one has ever done anything for God or anything worthwhile for themselves without having to understand and accept pain and affliction. That ought to be an encouraging word for somebody who's fighting and enduring and going through hell and high water right now. I'm here to tell somebody the devil isn't trying to destroy you. Maybe God's trying to direct you. Can I just preach a little bit of revelation into our heart today? 
amen. I feel like I'm in the will and the voice of God today. The devil isn't trying to destroy your marriage. The devil isn't trying just to destroy your family. I know the enemy is against us. We talked about it over a weekend, amen, but maybe we get a revelation. Instead of giving credit to the devil, we take the pain and we take the affliction and we say, God, lead me. Lead me and I will follow. Guide me and I will follow. I will go after you, Lord. Joseph, your brothers aren't selling you into slavery in Egypt. They're putting you back on a road that will lead you to fulfill every destiny and dream that God has ever given you. But if you don't have this affliction, then you can never experience everything that God has for you. And so I want to encourage somebody today and tell you this is not a time for a meltdown. This is not a time to quit. This is not a time to throw up and throw in the towel. It's a time to recognize God's got a plan. He knows the way that I take and when I am finished when I come out of this I'm coming out of this with gold on I'm coming out of this with a purpose I'm walking out of this pain no wonder no wonder the apostle Paul said what he did in Romans 8 18 for I reckon Paul must have been southern For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When we look at this word affliction, Webster defines it as something that causes pain or suffering. The Hebrew definition for affliction means to be brought down, to depress, or to be humiliated. The Greek definition means to be treated with ill will or to be persecuted. Pain and affliction. So here is this affliction. Something that causes pain, suffering, humiliation, depression, ill will, persecution. And I'm going to preach to somebody today that all of that can become your greatest asset in living for God and advancing in the kingdom of God. Amen. Can I just be honest with you today? What we usually do is as soon as affliction appear, we jump to the front of the prayer line and nothing wrong with that and we begin a several day fast uh, and we do everything we can to get out up from underneath the burden uh, of the affliction when in all reality maybe we need the affliction because the affliction has a purpose uh, because it's it's growing us uh, into the people it's growing us uh, into the church uh, it's growing us uh, into the family that God wants us to be Listen to what James said. I knew I was in the Holy Ghost from Brother Jonathan. You quoted this scripture. But I'm going to give it to you like I feel like it was written. I hate to get all biblical on you and stuff, but I want to help you. We are very familiar with the verse found in James 5, 14. Is any sick among you? We did that today, and the Lord moved. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. If he committed sins, they shall be forgiven. James is making a great point here that I think we often overlook. Maybe we don't even pay a real good attention to it. The Bible says if we are sick, we call for the elders of the church and they will pray the prayer of faith and God can heal us. So if we're sick, we get other people involved. 
We can let them pray for us and we can believe that God is going to heal us and deliver us. But listen to the verse right before verse 14 of James chapter 5. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Watch this. If anyone among you is afflicted, he didn't say let them call for the elders of the church. He didn't say get everybody else involved. He even said don't put it on Facebook. I think it's there. It's in there somewhere. He simply said let him pray. But nowhere in that passage does it say to pray for deliverance. It just simply says let him pray. So immediately I come to the conclusion that there is obviously a big difference between being sick and being afflicted. Sickness you bring before the church. You solicit others to help you pray. You ask for relief. But afflictions have a purpose. And you cannot shortchange the purpose. And you can't find a shortcut around the purpose. And you can't cut corners on the purpose. And one of the purposes of affliction, one of the purposes of being under a trial that you do not understand is simply to get you to pray. necessarily praying for God to move the mountain but praying that God will give you the strength to climb the mountain uh, come on can I just be honest uh, I believe this is one of those messages uh, where God is asking the church to grow up a little bit uh, he wants to advance truth church uh, to the next level uh, amen I know uh, a little bit about what you've been through uh, I know a little of the struggle that your family of God has been faced with but I know this uh, there's a reason why this place is almost packed uh, to capacity because affliction has a purpose. people around the world including my wife and I prayed that God would take the cancer out of your body you know how many times uh, I laid on the floor at night uh, amen praying for friends uh, and their name would come and I pray for sister ginger I pray that God would give your pastor strength uh, but I also know uh, there's a purpose uh, there's a reason uh, there's something being born in this house uh, as a result uh, of affliction Darren, we are quick to push it to the side, get it out of the way as soon as possible. And God says, don't. There's a process because what's coming out of this, and I prophesy in the Holy Ghost, what's coming out of this is a building that's bigger than you can handle. Amen. It's a revival more than you can contain. It's miracle signs and wonders in the house. Your affliction has a purpose. has a purpose this past two years has been some of the most challenging for every one of us that are in this building some of you sitting here today some that may be still at home watching online we've been through the ringer so to speak we've asked God so many times how long will this go on 
I got good news. I got a word I got to preach to this generation. There is something God is doing in the middle of this mess that is going to bring you to a new dimension in life, prayer, praise, and worship. There are things that is happening, amen, in the heart of this church. I don't know everything. Your pastor didn't give me a list of things to preach, but I feel like I am smack dab in the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's time to quit asking God to make our way easier and start asking God to make us stronger so that we can endure, that we can hold up, that we can pray through it, that we can get through it. Amen. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles. They shall run and not be weary. is renewed if I need to fly I can fly if I need to run I can run if I need to walk then I can walk but it all begins with my strength being renewed. I feel in the Holy Ghost that God is here to renew and strengthen. I feel in the Holy Ghost Truth Church that God sent my wife and I here more than just for a marriage conference. We're here because something has been birthed and paid in the middle of this trial that God is about ready to release. I feel miracle signs and wonders. I feel the power of healing. I feel the deliverance of God. I feel the salvation because it was born in pain. You can never let affliction suffocate your worship greatest times to give God worship is in the middle of your trial. We sang the song, don't wait for the battle to be over, shout now. You don't wait for it to end before you worship. You worship in the middle of your struggle. Let me read to you something from Lamentations 1. Verse 1, listen to this. Lamentations 1, verse 1, how Doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become tributary? How did the city that was overflowing with blessing all of a sudden become so empty? She weepeth sore in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. How does a city become deserted? How does a city that used to be great become like a widow? How does a city that used to be the queen of the earth now become a slave? I think part of the answer is found in the first few verses. Uh, words of the next verse, Lamentations 1 and 3. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. Judah means it means praise Judah suffered pain and affliction and when they did instead of understanding the purpose behind it they gave in to the pressure and became slaves to their surroundings hear me anytime you allow your praise to be affected because the 
pain and affliction. You are just a few steps away from backsliding and losing everything that God has done in your life. And that's why I've stopped by today. It's not time to hang the harp on the willow tree. It's time to shout. It's time to dance. It's time to believe that God's working in the middle of my problem. That's why you've got pain. That's why you're in a trial. That's why you're in a struggle. Because God is connecting you spiritually to your pain. tell you to take a day off from worship. I may be in a strange land. This may be a trying time. This may be one of the worst storms I've ever been in, but I refuse to lose my worship. I may be afflicted on every side, but I refuse to let the devil silence my praise. I may be sitting here not knowing what the next step is in my life, but I refuse to hang my harp on a willow tree and be and stop being who God called me to be. I may, I may feel like Job, and it may seem like I've lost everything, but though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This affliction is not going to destroy me. This pain is not going to stop me. It's going to direct me exactly where God would have me to go. I'll be done in a few minutes, I promise. Just hear me out for just a few more. I grew up in southern Idaho. We had a garden hose that the end had been cut off. Probably because I didn't have, I, I needed it to siphon gas out of the lawnmower to put in my car so I could get to work or school. We didn't have a whole lot, but we were happy. But that garden hose, it didn't have one of those fancy nozzles on the end like some of y'all have. It was cut. So if I needed for the water coming out of the hose to go farther than the hose would allow me to go, I had to squeeze. Hello? Or as we said growing up, I had to mash on the end of it in order for the water to shoot farther. The pressure applied to the end of the water hose caused the water coming out of that hose to go farther than it was going. The pressure in your life, the pressure in your life is causing some of you to stretch farther, worship harder, pray longer, believe more than you ever have before. I feel like God is doing something here in this church because you're about ready to launch places. You never thought you would launch. You're about ready to go places you never thought you could go. You're about ready to see things you never thought you could see because there's power and purpose in pain. What appeared to be something that might restrict the flow of water was actually something that expanded the flow. Hear me. I'm going to wrap it up here in just a moment, but the problem I think we have with 21st century Christianity is that we would rather have acceptance than affliction. But you and I know you cannot be accepted by an antichrist world and be respected by a Jesus Christ church. Let me prove to you just for a moment. Hebrews 11. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
There comes a time when each of us have to come to our years. We have to mature. We have to reach a place where we can see a difference between Egypt and the people of God. And each of us, I'm preaching to somebody right now, at some point in your life, you're going to have to give up looking toward Egypt. You're going to have to stop looking to a place of slavery and start looking to where God is. I feel to preach that a while, but it's a hard road. I had to give up this, and I had to change that, and I had to quit living with this, and I had to quit doing that. Honey, it may seem like affliction and pain, but honey, I promise you, there is a land that flows with milk and honey where walls fall and giants are destroyed and land is conquered and miracles happen. It's time to recognize. Moses had to come to a decision. Do I want to be Egypt's son or do I want to be God's servant? And that sounds easy enough, but that's a little harder than we might want to admit because we know whichever one we choose will disqualify us from the other. Let's keep reading verse 25 of Hebrews 11. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, if you choose God, then there will be times of pain. But if you choose to be called the son of Egypt or the world, then there will be pleasure of sin for a season. But I would rather, just like Moses, suffer affliction for God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Because the Bible tells me that the wages of sin is death. And anytime you separate from the world, there will always be pain. But you can't lead God's people out of slavery if you are connected to the system that is pretty Reducing the slavery. Listen to what else it tells us. Uh, because it's not just affliction. It's affliction on purpose. Uh, there's a reason for it. Uh, it's teaching us something. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Uh, greater riches uh, than the treasures in Egypt. What Moses understood that you and I need to understand. Uh, affliction, pain, trial, things I go through will produce greater riches uh, in me uh, than all the treasures of the world. All right, stand with me. I, I got to stop. I got to stop. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You will never forsake Egypt. You will never forsake this world. You will never forsake the things in this world. You will never forsake carnality until you get to the place that that pain and that affliction are a greater resource than the acceptance of a world. Yeah. Moses, I knew you were going to go through some stuff. Moses, I know you're going to suffer affliction. Moses, I know you're going to be humiliated a time or two. I know you're going to be misunderstood. I know people are going to rise against you. I know they're going to say things against you. I know that you're walking away from worldly money. He was the son of the Pharaoh. 
daughter. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything. But Moses understood, if I can just hang on and endure the affliction, then God will show up in a supernatural way. He turned a stick into a snake. He parted the Red Sea. He gave Moses water from a rock. He gave him manna from heaven. He gave you clothes that didn't wear out. He gave you shoes that withstood the desert track of 40 years. And I felt like the Holy Ghost spoke to me this morning to tell this church there is a supernatural power of God being poured out because of the affliction that this church has faced. Watch this. Let's come play something fancy. Get that organ going, Sister Gil. Come on. I love a good organ. Paul prayed three times for an affliction to leave his body. 2 Corinthians 12. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. It was given to me a thorn in my flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made purpose, is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessity, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, when I don't know where else to go, when I'm at the end of my rope, then, it's then that I'm truly strong. Paul had a revelation. This pain has a purpose. This pain has a purpose. I'm here to tell this church, it's quick, it's very easy for us to quickly push away from all the things that cause the pain in our life, hoping that God will come through. You know how many times as a young child, even as a teenager, I'll just be honest with you, I prayed that God would give me another hand. I wanted to be able to get a full sentence out if I learned sign language. You know how many times I went to God and said, God, why me? Why was I born the way that I was? Why am I dealing with this affliction? Till I recognized what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Skip down two more verses. He says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes 
You see, we have it all backwards. We backslide because of the pain. But David said it was the pain. It was the affliction. It's what kept him from going astray. And the affliction produced a greater love for the word. The affliction produced a greater love for worship. The affliction produced a revival. It's good for me. I don't understand everything that God allows into our lives. I don't understand why the pain, why the disease, why the hurt, why the divorce, why the financial struggle. I don't understand it all. But I do know this. Uh, there's a reason. Uh, it's drawing you closer. It's giving you a greater understanding of the power and the purpose of God and work in your life. Uh, there's a power. There's a purpose to your pain. Throw your hands up in the air right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. That affliction is keeping you close. That affliction is keeping you at an altar. That pain is for your purpose. I know you've been praying for deliverance. Amen. But it's there to get you in the presence of God. I wonder if there's anybody in this house right now. You're going through a struggle. You're going through a trial. You don't know how you're going to make it. I'm inviting this altar to you, to this altar. I'm opening this altar. Come on. Let God give you a revelation. Let God give you an understanding. Let God refresh your spirit. Let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands all over the sanctuary. If you need something from God, if you need to be touched in a way you haven't been touched in a while, I'm inviting you into this altar. That affliction, that pain has a purpose. Come on, that's it. Respond. Respond. You need a miracle. Step out. You need healing. Step out. You need deliverance. Step out. That affliction, that pain has a purpose. Come on, that pain has a purpose. There's a reason why. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't 